Introduction by Andrew Murray and H. B. McCartney, Jr. I have been asked to write a few lines introducing this book to American Christians. I count it a privilege to be allowed to do so. The one thing needful for the Church of Christ in our day, and for every member of it, is to be filled with the Spirit of Christ. Christianity is nothing except for being a ministry of the Spirit. Preaching is nothing except for being a demonstration of the Spirit. Holiness is nothing except for being the fruit of the Spirit. These truths are so seldom taught or emphasized as they should be, and the blessings they speak of are so seldom experienced that one gladly welcomes every voice that draws attention to them. We know that all do not perfectly agree on the best answer to the question, How can we be filled with the Spirit? Some press the aspect of truth that reminds us the Holy Spirit has been given to the church and that He dwells in every believer a fountain of living water. In the same way as there have been fountains clogged by stones and earth that only need to be cleared and opened up, so we only need to remove the hindrances to yield ourselves in perfect surrender to the Spirit in us, and the filling will come. We mustn't ask God for more of the Spirit. God asks for more of us, so that the Spirit may wholly have us. Others, while fully admitting that the Spirit is in the believer, and that the Spirit asks for a more entire surrender, will still urge that we must ask for and receive the filling of the Spirit directly from God. God cannot give His spiritual gifts apart from Himself, once for all. As the divine and everlasting one, He gives unceasingly. The Spirit has not been given as if He had left heaven. He is in God and in the church. It is from God Himself that larger measures of the Spirit must always be sought and received. Among those who hold this latter view, there is again some diversity in the representation of truth. On the one hand, we are reminded that it is by faith we receive the Holy Spirit, and that faith often has to rest and to act without any conscious experience. It has to walk in the dark. Souls that are fully surrendered to God are invited to claim the promise and then to go and work in the full assurance that the Spirit is in them and will work through them in His fullness. On the other hand, some stress the words, We receive the Spirit by faith. The difference between believing and receiving is pointed out, and we are urged to wait until we receive what we claim and know that God has filled us with His Spirit again. To be filled with the Spirit is offered us as a definite conscious experience. With still other Christians, we find what may be regarded as a combination of these different views. They believe some have received a very definite, conscious filling of the Spirit, and this may be had by all. Though from their own experience they cannot testify of it, they still look for God to do for them above what they have asked or thought. Meanwhile, they know God's Spirit is in them, and they seek grace to know Him better and they seek to yield themselves to Him more undividedly. They believe the Spirit within them is Himself leading them on to the Lord above them, whose role it is to fill with the Spirit. In faith they have claimed the fullness. They have placed themselves to be filled. They look to their Lord to fulfill His promise. Whether it comes in one swift moment or more gradually, they know it is theirs. I have written this with an eye to those who may not entirely agree with the way in which the truth is presented in this little book. I wish to urge all, especially ministers of the gospel, to give it a prayerful reading.
and listening. I feel confident it will bring them help and blessing. It will deepen the conviction of the great need and absolute duty of being filled with the Spirit. It will point out the hindrances and open up the way. It will stir up faith and hope, and I trust it will bring many people to feel that it is at the footstool of the throne, in the absolute surrender of a new consecration, that the blessing is to be received from God Himself. May this book stir up all its readers and listeners not only to seek this blessing for themselves, but also to cry earnestly, Keep praying most earnestly. 1 Thessalonians 3, 10, For all the saints, Ephesians 6, 18, that God may give the Holy Spirit in power throughout His whole church. It is when the tide comes in that every pool is filled and all the separate little pools are lost in the great ocean. As all believers who know or seek this blessing begin to pray as intensely for each other and all their brethren as for themselves, this is when the power of the Spirit will be fully known. With the prayer that this Spirit-filled book may be greatly blessed of God, I commend it to the study of His children. Andrew Murray, Introduction to the American Edition, December 1895 Christian reader, Christian listener, I pray that before you finish this little book you may become so eager, so intense in your longings after God, that you will not be satisfied until you are really and actually full of Him and filled with the Holy Spirit. When the Lord asked Job, Can you lift up your voice to the clouds? So that an abundance of water will cover you, Job thirty-eight thirty-four. He would undoubtedly have answered, "No." On the other hand, with all humility, but without the slightest hesitation, we can answer, "Yes." Abundance is the Father's will. The provisions of life in Jesus are abundant. The stream of the Spirit's energies is abounding forever and ever. Scripture, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything you may have an abundance for every good deed 2 corinthians 9:8 we only need to reflect a little until the truth flashes and then the victory is all but won we only need to consider who it was that first loved us and called us to be his own children when we were wandering in sin's desert who was it that first crossed the wild with a cup of living water to quench our dying thirst who now crosses that desert a second time on our behalf with great camel loads of wine and milk? What did it cost him to draw that water from salvation's well, or to buy those luxuries for growth and power? What will one healing, stimulating swallow accomplish in us and others? How will he grieve if we decline to buy or hesitate to drink? Scripture Ho! Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Isaiah 55, 1. Above all, what will be the consequences to His glory? Oh, let's arise, let's shake ourselves from the dust. Isaiah 52, 2. Let's drink abundantly, beloved. There is just now an unutterable need for something more. Single souls are drooping, though divinely planted. Churches are full of bones, very many and very dry. The world is a jungle, a forest ready for the fire. Men, women, and children form one vast continent of feeling, of ever-increasing sensibility, with an ever-deepening and ever-aching void. 
Even the teachers of high truth themselves are not filled of the abundance of your house, and they do not drink deep enough of the rivers of your delights. Psalm 36, 8. Yes, there is a thirst not quenched, and I am persuaded that we can only quench Emmanuel's thirst when in him we quench our own. Then let's make haste to God. Let's hurry to the stream that is full of water. We cannot know what the infilling of the Spirit means until we are infilled. It's a new experience. God is not thereby better seen than before by nature's eye, but He is better understood, better loved, better leaned on. That is what He wants, and that is enough. Perhaps, dear listener, the pathway between you and blessing is somewhat hidden, or your eyes are dim, or your heart is only beating with a faint desire. If so, then carefully listen to this little book. Listen to it beside an open Bible. Listen to it in prayer. Through infinite compassion, it may prove to be a key to the place of abundance. Psalm 66, 12. It may tear the veil, scatter the darkness, lead you to joy unspeakable. I have known the author long, and love him much. He is thoroughly trained in theology, and he is a first-rate preacher. He presents the gospel for sinners as clear as crystal, and when you have listened a little further, you will say the same of his gospel for saints. He has penetrated far into the shelter of the Most High, Psalm 91, 1, and so can speak from a rich experience of his own, to which, however, he never refers. I cannot but express the hope that this little treatise on the Spirit-filled life may not only be widely circulated in Australia, but also in England and America. It is fresh, it is simple, it is temperate, it is timely, it is scriptural, and it is splendid. It sets forth a promise to be claimed, a gift to be received, a command to be obeyed, and it portrays the sequel, more liberty, more peace, more devotion, more fellowship with the Son of God in His rejection by man, in His fellowship with the Father. H. B. McCartney, Jr., Introduction to the Australian Edition, July 1894